The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Today, we continue our Living the Vision series. I saw a cartoon this week. Uh, it was a, a dad, and he had his glasses up on his head like we sometimes do. And, and his child came along and said, Daddy, are your glasses up there so you can see your ideas better? <laughs> and you know, in this, this Living the Vision series and our theme on course, it really is about seeing our possibilities in life better and clearer so that we can truly get on course in this life of ours, truly fundamentally on course, which means that we are moving our lives in congruence with a core purpose, or what we called last Sunday a soul purpose, and that then our lives move forward in a powerful way, and we go from haphazard or fear-based living uh, into living that is aligned with our soul and, and we find that we give the gifts that are most wanting to be given and, and we move on a path that is, is authentic and deliberate and enlivened in our lives. And that's what we're really here for and our greatest gifts are expressed. Martha Graham said, there's a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all of time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any medium and will be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares to other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours, clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. Powerful words. So what we're doing is opening up the channel and attuning to our inner knowing, remembering some of the basic things that we teach in the science of mind and spirit, that there's a power for good in this universe, and everything is created out of this love intelligence And we are one with this power for good. And this power for good that is within us is always conspiring for our highest and best. Always. And this power I speak of is a wonder-working power. If we can get out of its way, or as Emerson said, get your bloated nothingness out of the way of the divine circuits. (laughs) And if we will believe in this power. So as we work with this on-course concept, we're also looking at five pathways for empowering the possible. And the first pathway we talked about last Sunday was visioning. And the key idea in this is that the heart in you and me, the heart is both the wisdom and the way of our vision. It's when we turn from the voices and the distractions that would veer us off course in our life. When we turn from those and we attune to and listen to the heart, that's when something deeper and more powerful, more fundamentally true for each of us emerges. And it's then that we can start using the skills of the way of the heart, which last Sunday we discussed as being to visualize, internalize, and to actualize. And so today we then take step two, uh, the second pathway, which is claiming. A topic for today is claiming. Now, I tell you what. This is an incredibly powerful step. 
to be about this business of claiming our vision. You see, claiming is our total acceptance, the stamp of our total acceptance on our vision. Claiming is the high art of entering into a personal covenant, a personal covenant with life, with your higher self, and with this vision that is emerging, even if only in initial forms and stages, this deep and powerful covenant. Claiming is to become a non-negotiable, undeniable, fully committed yes to our vision. A yes to our vision. And it's when we are that kind of unequivocal yes to some vision, it's then that the magnificent and the all-powerful machinery of the universe shifts into action on our behalf. And brings forth for us greater good and greater possibilities than we could ever foresee. But it all depends on us arriving at that place of yes. That personal covenant. That stamp of total acceptance. Very powerful thing. Now, in the Bible, I think it's in the book of James. There's a passage that says a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded person. We're often so very double-minded. we got a vision, but we have all sorts of other stuff that gets in the way. And I love the Aramaic translation of that passage. Aramaic being the language spoken in that day, the language spoken by Jesus. And it says, Whoever wavers in his mind is troubled in all his ways. Double-minded. Wavering. It's like... We, we get an insight. You know, we get a vision. We get a, a directive from within or a, or a higher calling. And then very high-level self-sabotage kicks in. Have you noticed that? And we become double-minded rather than single-minded, claiming our good. We become double-minded. Yeah, we become double-minded uh, when we start telling stories about how we're not good enough and we've failed before. That's one way we do that. We have a high vision, and then we start criticizing that vision as impractical or far-fetched. We, we sense this emerging vision, and we start disempowering uh, ourselves uh, by speaking to ourselves about all the risks and the downsides, the yeah buts in the matter. And, and, and we hold this high vision, but we shy away because we don't know if we're up to it or how it's going to turn out. Oh, and we get this high vision, but we get double-minded because then we start asking for guarantees and, and a detailed roadmap uh, to the goal that we seek. Double-minded, wavering in all our ways. And we sabotage the very good that would unfold in our lives. There's a whole different way of being for masterful living. It's to arrive at that awareness that any vision requires our claiming of it. And I've always loved this particular passage. It's one of my favorite all-time passages. Uh, and it's written by W.H. Murray, who led one of the expeditions to the top of Mount Everest, or he was the second in command. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy 
the chance to draw back. Always ineffectiveness. That's that double-mindedness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. A whole stream of events from the decision, a whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance, which no one could have dreamt would have come his way. I've learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Wow. What's so clear is that on-course living requires on-purpose commitment. On-purpose commitment. Because something clicks in. We go from wishing and hoping to a kind of covenant consciousness, as it were. And, and we stop requiring the universe to provide full disclosure about how it's going to turn out or a road map for where we need to go. We know that it's about moving beyond our comfort zones and trusting that this great power we're one with will move with us and through us. As it says, providence moves too when we're at that place of commitment. I want to remind you of a very powerful story involving this. It's the story of Abraham in the Bible, who was initially called Abram. Now, when Abram was 75 years old, he decided that he would petition God to have a son, that his, his wife would conceive a child. Uh, Sarah uh, somehow went along with this at this advanced age, and so God petitioned, or Abram petitioned God for this child. But as often is the case, God had a bigger idea. Now I want to pause here. Now where, no matter wherever you are in your life, no matter how successful according to your criteria, no matter how challenged or unsuccessful according to lower judgments of yourself, no matter where you are in your life, God has a bigger idea. For every one of us right now, God has a bigger idea. And we're either anesthetizing ourselves to it, distracting ourselves from it, or we're deciding to get on course and see what is that higher agenda that amidst all that we are and do and have in this life... What amidst that higher agenda wants to come forth? But at any rate, Abram asked for a child and and God had a bigger idea. And it's written that God told Abram, Go forth from your land, from your kindred, from your father's house, to the land I will let you see. I'll make a great nation of you and will give you blessings and will make your name great. And so God essentially said, a child? Well, well, that's fine. But here's what I really want. I want you to leave everything you know and rely upon and go forth to receive a land that I'm going to show you later. And then great things. Not only a son, but also a great nation. And your own greatness. Uh, these things will I provide for you. <laughs> now I know most of us say, you know God, just a son would be, would be just fine. <laughs> that would be just fine. 
Or, okay, God, I'll, I'll accept that uh, decree, that direction, uh, but I need to know exactly where I'm going, and I need to have a road map, and I need to know and have assurance that all the supplies will be provided all along the way. See, that's, that's what we usually do. We either shy away from the situation or we ask for guarantees. But not Abraham. Because it says in the Bible, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, he went out without knowing where he was to go. He got the direction and he started not knowing fully where it was he was to go. However, God gave Abraham three promises. God said to Abraham, you will be guided. You will be changed. And you will be a blessing. Now when any one of us attunes to that bigger idea, seeking to unfold by means of us, that's also what the universe whispers in our ears. You're going to be guided. You'll be changed, transformed. And you will be a blessing. Because you're going to be expressing something higher. So he was willing to go even though he didn't know where in the world it would be. Now, what would it be like to live like that? That committed to, that reliant upon, that sensitized to that vision within us. And I wonder if we're willing to leave behind what was and who we were to go on our greater journey. Life sometimes calls you and me to that, to let go of all that we have achieved and all that we know of ourselves all that we've identified as, and to go into something greater. It speaks to us all. I know it does to me. And so Abraham began in the land of Haran, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, and he began a lengthy jury, journey, and uh, he followed Spirit's guidance to a new place. And 25 years later, when he was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, he conceived a child. He, he was given a child. And that child was born and named Isaac, which means to laugh. And I'm sure a lot of folks had a good laugh over all of this. And it was then that God changed Abraham, Abram's name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations, the father of multitudes. And so Abraham became uh, the, the, the father of the Jewish, the Christian, and the Muslim religions, literally half of humanity. Uh, finds their heritage back to Abraham. But there's one other thing about that. Abraham's father's name was Terah, which, which means delaying, lagging behind, and loitering. And you know, I believe that there's some Terah in all of us, especially when we sense something moving within us and calling to us. And so what we, what we need to do is birth that Abraham consciousness and to go forward knowing you will be guided you will be changed and you will be a blessing. So very powerful to remember these things. So I believe that there are four inspired aspects of claiming and that is caring, preparing, declaring, and daring. Caring, preparing, declaring, and daring. Let's talk about caring. It is so essential that we fall in love with, fall so in love with the vision that calls to us, even if we don't entirely know where it's going to lead us, 
that we fall totally in love with it and we stay connected to our passion for the vision. That's what claiming is all about, is to be so passionate that we don't let the obstructions and the obstacles put us down. We don't let the other voices veer us off course. We stay absolutely connected to our passion and our caring. When I got into the ministry at a very young age, I was scared to death. I didn't know where it was going to lead me. There were voices that said, it's going to lead you to failure, but that's all right. Give it a shot. Um, but I, I loved it so much, and I still do, that I just kept walking on, on this journey, much like Abraham, just calling in my guidance and willing to grow and to change and seeking to be a blessing, as we all do. I could never have known it would lead to everything that has unfolded. I could never have known. But all along the way, we got to stay in love with the vision and let that passion and that carrying lead us forward. There's the teaching story about a holy man who was sitting out on his porch and his dog was sitting right next to him. him, And and, and a seeker found him and, and asked if he could pose a question. And the holy man said yes. And the seeker said, why are some people so zealous in spiritual purpose and practice only eventually to waver and to fall away. And the holy man said, well, let me answer that with a story. One day, a white rabbit ran by in that field right out in front of us. And my dog leaped up and ran after the rabbit, barking loudly. And soon other nearby dogs heard the barking and joined my dog in the pursuit. But eventually, as all the dogs began to run across rocky ground and hills and then into the thickets, One by one, the other dogs left the chase, all except my dog. And then he stopped, and the seeker said, Well, what does that tell me about maintaining our spiritual purposes and practices? And the holy man said, It says everything. You see, only my dog saw the rabbit, and thus he stayed the chase. You see, when we see that something... Then, then it gives us that special connection and caring. And no matter that we find ourselves going through rocky grounds or steep slopes or thickets, we've seen something and our hearts have claimed it. And we keep going. So this claiming starts with caring. And then it moves into preparing now, there are obviously in any journey, there's some practical provisions and pragmatic preparations to be made, but that's minimal. What really needs preparing is our consciousness. That inward preparation, that preparation to keep believing, stay in touch with our passion, keep knowing this power for good, this infinite intelligence available to us to work through us, even when we run through the rocky grounds and the hills and the thickets. We are prepared in consciousness, and we keep working with our consciousness to own and to claim all that we're about. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, said, Our life is what our consciousness makes it. And so the things we do to fortify our consciousness, whether it's learning more about prayer and meditation, in our, like in our retreat, or, or doing the breakthroughs work, or whatever it is, that it prepares us to continue on this magnificent journey that surprises us every step of the way. So it's about caring and preparing, and then declaring. There is a powerful force 
that moves through your spiritual word of declaration. That's why sometimes when we get to the apex of our prayer work, our affirmative prayer work, we often will say, I will speak my word, meaning I will declare the higher spiritual truth. And in the very power of declaring it, we're actually saying, as God said in Genesis, let there be, we're saying, let there be, or even more affirmatively, there is to be this, that, and the other thing. There is to be this vision. And our declaration power ignites this and energizes this. So it's, it's about this, this caring and preparing and then declaring our good. Now, I just so love it that this spiritual community has co-created this new declaration to augment our vision and mission called the Heart of My Life Church. And we're declaring into expression some wonderful things that are both realities about what matters to us in our hearts, but also challenge us to continue to grow and evolve. And I, we're going to be taking little snippets of that and giving them a little bit of attention throughout the rest of the series. And the one I really love that we have declared right up front is that we are radically inclusive. That we're a radically inclusive spiritual community. Now some folks say, why did you choose radically? Because we didn't want to say, well, we're kind of uh, inclusive. (laughs) Or we're conveniently inclusive. No, we are deliberately, wholeheartedly inclusive. And we're willing to grow and keep learning how to be even more inclusive. Understanding that it is an evolving journey. But how great to know that we are standing on the truth that all beings are of spirit. All beings are our brothers and sisters. And they're all welcome here in this community. And we envision a community that is richly diverse, that we're age diverse, relationally orientation diverse, that we're ethnically diverse, religiously diverse, and all the other diversities because that's the way the human family is anyway. So we have declared we're radically inclusive. What will you be declaring about you? So it's caring and preparing, declaring and then daring. Daring to move forward in your life deliberately on course. I want to close with one of my favorite illustrations of this. A man I greatly respect, Sidney Poitier. He was born in the West Indies. He didn't know how to speak English. And he was born seven months uh, as a seven-month premature baby. He wasn't expected uh, to live, so much so that his father, Reginald, had gotten, gone out and bought a wood, small wood box, a little bigger than a shoebox, in which Sidney was to be buried. It wasn't the first time they'd lost a child, and there would still be uh, enough people, enough, enough kids in the family of eight uh, to maintain their tomato farm there in the West Indies. But Sidney's mother, Evelyn, had an intuitive sense about this child. And she thought, you know, there's something special. So she went to a fortune teller. And the fortune teller confirmed that this child was bearing great gifts and would do great things in this life. So uh, it was one of the only times that Evelyn Potier ever spoke up to her husband, Reginald, when she said, get that box out of here. This child's going to live. This child has something that's going to thrust him forward in this life. And so Sidney writes, and so it was I grew. And when I was 15, my parents couldn't take care of me anymore, and they shipped me off to Florida to my brother. And I got a job as a delivery boy, and I was delivering a package to a door. And this woman came to the door, and I said, I have a package for you. And she said, fine, now take it to the back door. And I said, no, 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 I've got it right here at the front door. And she said, take it to the back door. And she wouldn't take it. 
So I set it on the front porch and I went to a movie with my friends. Later at 10 o'clock at night when I got home, all my brother's lights were out in the house and I walked in and asked, why are all the lights out? And they said, shh, the Ku Klux Klan has just paid us a visit. We're going to have to ship you across town now but you don't, because you don't do what you did in Florida. And Sidney writes, you know, I didn't know what they were talking about. I was raised in the West Indies. I didn't know about the defeat of self-image of the American blacks. And so I shipped across town to an uncle, and he liked me and I liked him. But we didn't have too much in common, so I went to Georgia and I washed dishes because that's what I knew how to do. And then I got tired of Georgia and I went to New York. Well, nobody told me that in New York, when it gets cold, you need a heavy coat. And my West Indies blood was freezing. Well, he was arrested for vagrancy, and then he took homage uh, with a cloister of nuns, and he went on washing dishes. But something was moving within him that said, my life is about more, just like it does within all of us. And so he was looking through the want ads, and he saw, actor wanted. And he thought, great. And he writes, I really didn't know what an actor was, and I had a very thick West Indies accent, but I walked in there, and the agent was sprawled out in his Brooks Brothers three-piece suit in all his gray flannel suitism, and I said, Hi, I'm here to answer the ad. And he said, Can you act? And Sidney said, Of course I can act. So the agent threw a script at me, and I took it, and I didn't know how to read it. So I faked it. After which the agent yelled, Get out of here, you ought to be washing dishes somewhere. So he began, after all the dishes were washed in the Hotel Fostoria in New York City, he began to teach himself how to read taught himself how to read. And then he bought a radio, and and he listened for hours to the American dialect as well. And then later on, he went back to that agent in the gray flannel suit, and the agent said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We have a shortage of black males in our American Negro theater, and we'll give you a free scholarship, and after 12 weeks, if you don't improve, we'll have to let you go. And Sidney writes, I was just in heaven. But after 12 weeks, they came to him and said, we're going to let you go. And he said, you can't let me go. And he said, we're letting you go. But Sidney said, I want to be here. I want to learn to be an actor. And they said to him, you can't act. Now I pause here. How many times have you been told it's not possible for you? You can't do it. And yet that seed of greatness is there anyway. Sidney writes, so I offered my janitorial services, cleaning and scrubbing and doing more than was asked of me. And before I knew it, There was a man, and he was from London, and he was an agent, and he said, you know, I'm filming something in Africa, and I'd like you to do a screen test. Would you be interested? Sidney froze and tried to act all cool and calm, and then he blurted out, yes, yes. And the man said to his assistant, fine, get Mr. Portier's tickets to London for the screen test. Now, through all of this, Sidney had never written home, because there was an omen in their culture in the West Indies that you never wrote home from America without having money in the envelope. And so here, eight years, eight years had gone by and he hadn't written to his parents. Well, he went to London, took the screen test, and he was accepted and a career was launched. And the agent then asked him, how would you like to go home and see your parents? And, oh, stop off in Paris on the way. And again, he kind of froze and tried to act cool and then he blurted out, yes. So he went home, a full-grown man, arrested for vagrancy, accosted by the Klan, shot in a New York race riot, made painfully aware of his illiteracy. And after eight years, he was back in Nassau again. His taxi pulled up in front of that one-room house, and Sidney, bedecked in his three-piece gray flannel suit, peered into the window, and he saw his parents sitting there rocking in their chairs, and it all came to him. 
And he writes, there I was looking through that window and it all flashed in front of me. All those experiences, all the moving through the pain and the grief. And then I knew that something in me, a friendly force, had inspired me to keep carrying it all through. And I knew I could expect even more. What's calling to you? This week, it's time to get no kidding, ready to go. It's about claiming. It's about that caring and preparing and declaring and daring. Not just sequentially and you're done with them, but every day. It's about caring, preparing, declaring, and daring. But don't forget, as you go forth, you will be guided. You will be changed. And you will be a blessing.